having. Hey, Louie. He has risen, babe, because it is Easter. The bunnies are out. I've got eggs coming out of the wazoo. I'm Not happy the wazoo. To be here. The wazoo. <laughs> also, we're recording a daytime podcast, which I love because the sun is shining. Spring has sprung. That's why and- my cocktail is just a coffee. That's <laughs> <laughs> my favorite cocktail. I get you're blitzed. You're wasted, Gavin. Yep. Get out of here. Awful. We have a special guest with us today. She is not a ghoul. It's Kate Erblend. <laughs> Hi, Kate. Hi, guys. Thanks so much for having me on Easter Sunday. <laughs> I know. I, this is our church. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for coming on, Kate. Kate, you are somebody that I've actually wanted on the show for a very long time, but I've been too afraid to ask because you're like, you're, you're the where you are on like film criticism echelon is like way too high. <laughs> so I'm always just like, uh, um, that's me miming trying to get up there because podcasts are, you know, infamously a visual medium. But uh, I do want to point out that you are the executive editor of film at IndieWire. Thank you for coming on. I'm just, I'm like, I I mean, I know we're friends outside of this and I'm not normally like this. But now that we're in a position where I can be like, I'm going to gush. Thank you so much. Gavin's about to bust. (laughs) Well, thank you for, for humoring my idea of where I was just like, Andrew McCarthy, because it's like, I've always really loved to say. Yeah, I like, was like, thank you. Thank you for coming on, but also thank you for choosing chaos and choosing <laughs> and choosing fun. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, sometimes we have to be really serious and talking about the people we're talking about. But with Andrew, uh, what a blast. And I do have to say, what I mean, one of the things I, I like about you is I think you have incredible taste. And I, I think about back about a year ago uh, to last year's South by Southwest, and I was like on Twitter raving about Ninja Baby. And you were like, yes. And I was like, well, the only reason I watched it was because of you. And you were like, Aww. yeah, you're like, that's what that's what it's for. The, the <laughs> IndieWire articles. And I was like, I was like, yeah. And I, I didn't say this at the time, but I was like, but, you know, I'm I'm in this world. I'm not a critic, really, but I I have a lot of critics around me and passing, you know, in the night. And but you're one of the few that, like, I trust. And mm. so when I read your stuff, I'm like, okay, that's a something I will source. check out. Yeah, a trusted so, source. So trust me, you are you are in the echelon for me. Oh, wow. I mean, that's what's so important about, I think people don't get that about critics. I mean, you guys obviously get that. It's like, you need to find the critics that taste matches up with your taste. You Absolutely. can always appreciate, like, I always tell people, like, you know, movie line, dearly departed movie line. I used to love reading Michelle Orange's reviews because she was such a great writer and she always pointed out things that I never thought of myself, but our taste was completely different. Like I knew if Michelle loved a movie, I was not going to like it and vice versa, <laughs> but I always loved reading her reviews. And I always, I always like to mention that because I think it's important. Totally. That's literally the most important part of it is it's like, do you enjoy reading it? Or do you enjoy the take? Because if you don't, like, if you just hate reading everything, what's the point? Misery. You're living in misery. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, Before we get to what we're here to talk about today, we have uh, a little bit of old business. Um, We Our last episode, we talked about Mr. Warren Beatty, Mr. New Hollywood himself. Oh, he's so vain. Uh-huh. Uh, with our good friend DJ. Um, not DJ. Why did I say DJ? It's uh, his in, Twitter handle. Every yeah, time I, I read his like Twitter. DJ Dan Mecca on the ones and twos. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, we asked you guys to go vote for your favorite Warren Beatty movie. And here are the results. Um, in last place was my pick, Bullworth, with 10%. Um, in third place was Gavin's pick, Bugsy, with 12%. 
Uh, in third place, or in second place was Reds, which was Dan's pick, 30%. And in first place, Bonnie and Clyde, 48%. Can't say I'm surprised. I mean, no. it's a banger. It's a banger. I'm a little shocked. I, I Bugsy was in the last place for a very long time, and I was not willing to campaign for it, because as much as I love his performance in that movie, I was like, rightfully so, Bullworth, Reds, Bonnie and Clyde. like they're, And so I'm a little shocked that I edged you out in Bullworth, because I think Bullworth is maybe a little bit better, because it's more meaningful. It's from him, like, you know, and it, it may be a little dated, but I think some of the, the stuff that's not dated is very good. Yeah, Kate, do you have any um, quick Warren Beatty takes? I'm disappointed to see where Bullworth placed. I think I, I know think people must not have seen it, or like maybe they've seen yes. it too recently, where they're like, "Oh, it feels too much like the real world." But it's yeah. so it's so very different than everything else he's done. And as Gavin said, like it's from him, which adds a very right. different level to how you think about him. Yeah, it's it reminded me a little bit of watching. I'm always going to come back to my or text of American Dreams with a Z just because like watching I mean Bullworth is from the same era and like watching those movies now it's like what is like life everything is so real like how did they fucking know it's kind of like I don't know um, magical mysterious um but yes I agree I love Bullworth I, th- I think what you're hitting at too is it's hard to do social critique and parody in the moment yeah and so yep. a lot of those things have to age I always think of and this is another random one but I always think of Josie and the Pussycats when mm-hmm. I first saw it in the early 2000s I was like, this kind of sucks. And then after I like watched it, I was like, oh, this is a lot smarter than anybody gave it credit for. And, and it's so much more interesting and it's really funny and like yeah. nails the era and also yes. just takes the piss right out of it. Oh, yeah. You realized, oh, I'm homophobic. Crazy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Hate you. <laughs> I love that movie. Um, but OK, Warren Beatty. Thank you. Great episode. Um, but Kate, please, can you tell our listeners uh, who we are here to talk about today on this episode? We are here to talk about one of the more iconic brats of the Brat Pack, mm. Mr. Andrew McCarthy. And it's so funny. Last night, um, some friends had us over for Passover. And then afterwards, we went out to a bar. And I ended up talking to this guy at the bar who used to live in our neighborhood. It was a whole thing. But I mentioned something about Andrew McCarthy. And he was like, oh, did you realize that later in his career, he became a travel writer? And I'm like, sir, I'm about to appear on a podcast about Andrew McCarthy. I think that I know that. But I'm just like... I thought it was so funny that the 60-year-old man knew who Andrew McCarthy was and was also caught up to date on his career turns. And I wonder yeah, if your yeah. listeners are as well. So we'll find out, baby. Right. I was not. I w- Andrew McCarthy had appeared in several movies that I really liked as a teen, and I had no idea what happened to him since outside of like a random appearance on like Law & Order. There's, <laughs> but like, I had yeah. no idea. He, he has yeah. had... Such a very different post, you know, Brat Pack fame career, but it's also been, you know, one in travel, one in the arts, he's raised a family, and I I guess, like, obviously I should have known these things, but I had no idea that he was directing as much as he is, and yeah, so he's actually, like, pretty fascinating. It's crazy, because I will admit that I was not very familiar with a lot of his career. Uh, I watched, obviously, we we did a John Hughes episode, and so I watched um, a couple of things that he was in for that. Um, but, like, the Brat Pack, uh, all that stuff really didn't penetrate South Texas in my upbringing. <laughs> uh, but... It very. I was like, oh, him. I, yeah, of course, like him. I've seen him. He's got. He he's very uh, distinct, um, and he represents a lot of. I think like 
of young 80s, just like cool guy, accessible everyman type stuff. Uh, Kate, how did you get to know Andrew um, or what's your relationship with him and his career? Well, I think when I was like, even in, you know, later elementary school and middle school, I was definitely a latchkey kid. So I would come home after school and I would watch like tons of TBS and TNT movies. So I was like a big chunk of like the John Hughes movies. My parents never regulated what I watched and obviously they couldn't do it when I was a latchkey kid and they weren't at home. And so I had this like real affection for the sort of iconic 80s teen movies that I think we associate Andrew McCarthy and so much of the Brat Pack with as like, I mean, I guess this was mostly when I was growing up in suburban Las Vegas and it's like <laughs> in the early nineties. And it was just weird that I had such an affection for this stuff because I don't think many of my peers did at the time. Obviously now I have found my people, but yeah. And obviously I had a big crush on him. Like he was so <laughs> cute and he was definitely my favorite frat packer. And so really? I think that's where, it, yeah, yes. What, what who, who are your favorite frat packers? <laughs> No, I mean, I, it's funny because I think in the echelon of the Brat Pack, he was always the like, kind of like goofy one, quote, not hot one, like uh, next to Rob Lowe, like, you know, and I'm not saying he's not, I'm not saying he's not handsome. He obviously is a handsome man, but like, Louis is the world's biggest Emilio Estevez fan. Like, let's just get it out there. uh, Okay. Okay. You're dancing around it and it's going to come out. So just come on. Yeah. I just, I gotta be real. I gotta be honest. No, I think he's like, and he talks about like, you know, how, he wasn't like he thought he wasn't um, the right fit for Pretty in Pink, and how they wanted like the, the handsome, like big quarterback guy, and it was like Molly Ringwald who was like, no, sensitive guy is who we right. should cast, and like he's, I think a big part of his like power, and he talks about it in his book is like he's got that smile, you know, like he's got that charm, and he can just like you know um, disarm anyone, and that's kind of like what got him to be able to like push through the Roblos and and maybe the more like edgy athletic uh, guys in the Brat Pack. But okay, anyway, enough <laughs> chit chat and small talk. Why don't we get into our rewind? Andrew McCarthy does have a book. It's called Brat. Uh, I, believe the, I, I believe the subtitle is like an 80s story. Yes, yes. <laughs> I read Which, it. I have um, it. It's just out of reach, but it's it's over there. I was listening to it. Um, I like his voice a lot, Andrew McCarthy. He's got like he a great very, voice, great voice. Um, but okay, uh, Andrew McCarthy was born in Westfield, New Jersey, uh, November 29th, nineteen sixty two. That makes him fifty nine years old. So young, still so young, still so young. This man literally has been acting for ten thousand years. I cannot believe <laughs> he's three brothers, two older, one younger. You know, listening to the book, it's kind of. There's some darkness with yeah. his childhood and, and his family, you know. Uh, and and I will say, like, he, he grew up in Jersey, close to the city. Um, and, and, you know, he talks about, like, not having a lot of money growing up. But also, I was like, that sounds pretty middle class to me. Yeah. You know, especially, like, when I was like, well, my life wasn't that. But, like, when he's saying he was embarrassed to, like, go on dates with girls because they had, like, you know, two TVs in the house and he only had one. Um, and I, and I, I was just like... Okay, yeah, but like you still had a three bedroom house still, in, yeah, in exactly. Jersey. Um so you, you like reference having your own room. Yeah. That's yeah, enough for me. Yeah, that's <laughs> enough. Um but he, he had a very strained relationship with his father, who uh he wasn't quite athletic like athletic like his older brothers were. He was um petite, if you will, a late bloomer. 
He was very worried about his voice changing. It kind of feels like classic middle child syndrome, even yeah. though I, as a middle child, I can say that. <laughs> um, well, that's that's what I was going to say is it, it feels very... Um... I I have I think I had a better relationship with my father than he paints with his father because it's it's it does get dark and we'll get to that later on. But he was like pretty classic mama's boy, and as a, yeah. as a mama's boy myself, like I feel like I can say that. And and that's you know it seemed like his mother sort of doted on him the way that she didn't with her like star athlete children and right you right. know and I I think there's um something to be said about the the like maybe not as butch child even if you know even if they're not queer as a child like right that sort of gravitates towards the like finding their own people and not having to deal with the like team and aspect right. and it's funny like these are the he's literally living out most of, a lot of the characters in his early career are, are him like this yeah. is you know the outsider kind of like not fitting in um but who still can like charm your pants off um i think does he say that his mom calls him the daydreamer? He's the, yes, he's her daydreamer. His dad has some vague, like business doings with like ventures, is what he calls them, <laughs> and and takes percentages. Yeah, whatever that means. Uh, yeah, we're we're all arts people. Yeah, <laughs> ever money. Heard of, yeah, money. <laughs> White collar crime. Ever heard of it? Um, but when he was a, a, a youth, a teen. Um, they're doing pretty well and so they decide to they move the family um and they go to a prep school where again like i just watched heaven help us and i was like okay the prep school vibes like i'm getting all like you know it's all happening it wasn't until uh his sophomore year i think when he like gets cut from the basketball team when he's like i have nothing to do and he kind of smeagles into a theater uh, after school class thing i love that he <laughs> the way he describes it in his book is that he just started showing up yeah. They were in the middle of rehearsing Hello yeah. Dolly, like months like, in rehearsal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he's like, I'll sing around the piano with everyone else. Right, 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 right. <laughs> and I, I also just love the idea that like, Hello Dolly is what gets him into acting. <laughs> Hello, Andrew. <laughs> hey, it's, it's a route for a lot of us. Yeah, just saying. <laughs> truly is. Truly is. Um, yes. And so he... It's it's there where he realizes that he wants to act. Um, he has like a fun bit moment where he like improvises on stage and kisses a girl and people laugh and laugh. And he's like, oh, was this what it feels like to be a star? <laughs> um, and, you know, pretty quickly his his father's like ill. No, hate that so much. Not going to be supportive about that at all. But his mom is like, get out of here. Uh, we love we love our little actor. Um, he love her little daydreamer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and so much so that, like, his parents for a summer are sending him off to, like, the city to do, like, an acting camp. He says yeah. the acting camp kind of sucks and he doesn't, like, really learn anything there. But he, <laughs> I mean, which ca casual, imagine. Uh, yeah, I went to acting camp and it was lame. Yeah. It was on, like, 70th Street in Manhattan, but ugh, the worst. <laughs> I know, I can't believe but he realizes, oh, I love New York City and I want to be in New York and I want to go to school there. And, you know, uh, he's not a good student. Um, and he <laughs> it's so funny. It reminds me so much of like when I was in high school, I had no everything about like city life was stuff in the TV that I didn't think was real. Like I didn't know like you could do that stuff. Um, and so when he's like, oh, I want to be an actor and they're like, oh, well, do you read plays? And he's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> he's like 
he's like, I don't want to do anything. I just like, I want to, I want to do this thing, but like, I don't know anything about this world at all. And I was like, I was like, yeah, that kind of was me when I was like in college. Like, I was like, I want to be a journalist, but like, I don't want to do anything. Like, I don't want to, <laughs> there was no roadmap. Um, so yeah, just, by, he, he casually applies to NYU because he knows it's in New York and has a drama program, which LOL. Um, and I don't know how NYU works. I don't know how people get in, um, but he auditions, he does have to audition. No, he auditions, but like, it sounds like they're like, you're really bad at school, but you danced around and like did a little monologue from Oliver. Right. So that, that was his, his like pride and joy, his height, his big starring moment in high school was the artful Dodger and Oliver. And if you think that that's not going to get brought up towards the end of the book again it is <laughs> it's uh, uh, yes so he gets in and he they're like bring your grades up and you'll be fine and he's like great love that he gets into nyu and he's he's going to the circle in the square acting school okay he's doing all the things and you know he he's fully living in greenwich village like the classique just like i'm from new york or i'm from jersey moved to the city to be a star um it's 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 kind of wild. I I was I was like, this is literally a YA novel. Yeah. Um, you know, this is the movie Patty Cakes. Uh, <laughs> An and odd comparison, but I'll I'll allow it. <laughs> she literally is sitting in Jersey, looking over the city. She wants to come to the city. <laughs> um, he is expelled after two years, but like he he kind of wanted to. He was like, right in his book, he's like, I needed to get into acting school so I could drop out of acting school. Um, but so. I, there you I, there you go, gal. I do want to fill in one odd thing that's sort of he befriends one of his high school teachers. And the first year he's living in the East Village alone, but the second year he starts subletting from this man that's like 12 years older than him who has decided to leave his job teaching to travel the world and just ends up in Thailand for two years. And so he ends up living with this like roommate of his teacher who is somebody that's a decade older than him who doesn't want to live with him and i just think it's such a funny like odd detail of being like this like 19 year old kid living in new york city with like a 30 year old man as your roommate who's like leave me the fuck alone <laughs> <laughs> he's like i am a new york actor actually um his first big break or major role is in 83's class with Jacqueline Bisset. Um, I had never seen this movie before. My jaw was on the floor when I was watching this. I could not believe um, the twist in this movie, I guess. Or like, I don't know if it's, is it a twist? Is it a major plot point? I don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't want to spoil anything, but. I, think um, you, I mean, I think in this case you should, because the movie kind of hinges on it. Like, yeah, yeah, the whole movie is about him fucking his roommate's mom. Um, I was gooped. I was gooped. <laughs> Um, uh, when was the first time you saw Class, Kate? Because this is also my first experience to it, but it sounded like you had seen it before in your emails. That was one of the the earlier ones that, you know, I watch at home after middle school. And, you know, I was definitely, um, you know, cut for, for cable consumption. And it's crazy yes. that it's his first film, but obviously like knowing and learning about his life it's like yeah this kind of sounds like you're uh, you're tapping into your own stuff that's <laughs> going on but he's like it's you know oh yeah a weirdly sexy movie but like maybe you're not supposed to feel like it's sexy um because you know the the twist slash 
total plot is a little icky. Uh, yes, but <laughs> you like, a little. You think like. <laughs> Like in my head, I was like, "Oh, this movie is about like a young man, you know, trying to find his place and like you know, learning and like, yeah, very that going to prep school." But it's just, and then and then all of a sudden, it's about him like having an affair with an older woman who surprises his roommates. A roommate, P.S., which is Rob Lowe. Um, this movie is just packed with young uh, actors of the '80s that would go on to do uh, more stuff. Uh, who God, John Cusack, John it. Cusack, yep. Yeah, but I, I didn't mention he talks in this book about how he has this one teaching uh, or one teacher at NYU who's like, you're going to that smile is going to get you really far, um, but it's going to be like the downfall of you, you know, because he's he um, I guess what she was trying to say and what he gleaned from it was that he was relying so much on his charm. He was just, you know, kind of and it's funny because he talks about how his dad was the same way he had a, was a very charming man was a businessman and so it's kind of funny that you know he took that from him and he was able to have that charisma it's, it's totally true like when he he's on the on the screen it's he flashes that big smile his big blue eyes it's like okay okay we get it <laughs> but what's interesting about that is that i was like yeah, you're down for who cares if you like me and you want me to keep going. You know what I mean? So I really did want that. It's funny, too, because the, the process of getting this movie, he it, it really felt like he wasn't involved in, in getting it. Like they <laughs> they recorded him on video cassette and then they basically like never called him back. And finally, like a couple weeks later, him and his begrudging roommate uh, had come to a truce about the answering machine. And so his roommate <laughs> was like, oh, yeah, you got a message about some audition wow and and so what he's been able to piece together is when they brought the tape back to la nobody could figure out how to like rewind and fast forward it so they just had to keep sitting through his audition over and over and over again until they were like yeah i guess this is the guy (laughs) (laughs) it's a twist of fate yeah Well, it's so funny because it feels like so much of his career is like, yes, this is something he really wants. Like he really wants to be an actor. He really wants to be in New York. But then the other half of it is just sort of like falling into these things. Yes. And, you know, and that seems like, you know, the sort of thing that can only happen to a person who is so charming and, you know, maybe doesn't even realize how much he is relying on his charm to kind of sort of skate through life. Like Louis said, it's like YA novel. Nothing could be more clear than that than what happens after the movie. Like the movie comes out, it's not a huge success. And, and like I said, I, I watched it for the first time. And my problem with the film is that the it's sort of exactly what you said, Louis, where it doesn't um, it doesn't really match its own levels. Like at one, it kind of wants to be the graduate, but then it kind of wants to be like Porky's, I guess, yeah. <laughs> in a way. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the ending, I was like, that's it. They, yeah, they they fight and then they're like, "LOL, credits." And and and, and Jacqueline <laughs> Bissett was very upset apparently that they removed a lot of her scenes. Like she had a scene actually at the the psychiatric hospital and everything, wow. and, and she thought it was going to be this deeper thing about this woman, and then no. she realized like, no, it's about the kids. It's a teen um, comedy, babe. So sorry. <laughs> it's only money. Yeah, well, it's my only money. Have you ever? Have you ever been in love? Uh, yeah, I was pretty fond of that $100 bill. Do you think there's, uh, something wrong with me? Well, well, how do I know? I mean, I don't, I don't know you. We can fix that. But the thing that happens afterwards is, you know, 
Jacqueline Bissett, by the way, and I, I just keep calling her that because in the book, there's a photo of her and underneath it says it's it's Bissett like kiss it. Oh, so okay. <laughs> drag um, me. Ooh. But uh, uh, that's not not against you. I just I always thought it was Jacqueline Bissett as well. So but she invites him to come live with her. Yes. And so he like goes and stays as her and her husband, who is like a uh, a ballerina from Moscow. Uh, hot, hot. like to like live in their house and he would just like watch him exercise in the morning and then at <laughs> night like help out Jacqueline like get prepared for her parties and like this is so sexual <laughs> <laughs> well, he I'm does... watching her ballerina husband work out in the morning and then helping her prepare for parties in the evening he, he did say there was one point where that it only happened once, but they were talking and she kissed him and then she like left the room just one time it was one of those Adolescent fantasies that just happened and that just happened. Wow. Wow. And he's like 19, right? Yes. Like he's, he's, he's a, a child. <laughs> he's yeah. a, let's get it out there. <laughs> well, depending on what state you're in. Yes. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> it was Los Angeles. Anything goes. <laughs> and he like, so uh, did you guys watch the Benneker gang? <laughs> yes, I did. It's a like an after. I did not realize it was an after school special. I was like, this movie's awfully cheap looking for a Hollywood movie. And then I was like, oh, okay, it was literally an after school special. Scholastic said, let's make a little movie, guys. How about that? Um, what's funny in the next two movies, like The Benneker Gang and Heaven Help Us, the same little girl plays his sister in both of them. Yes. And I was like, hmm, that's interesting. Um, both of these movies are basically. Especially Heaven Help Us, like class, he's a young, uh, you know, kid in prep school, private school. Um, Heaven Help Us just made me think like, Jesus Christ, thank God we don't live in that era. I have no idea what the fuck goes on in Catholic schools, but I, brutal. brutal. I didn't rewatch Heaven Help Us. Uh, Heaven Help Us I watched years ago because I was doing a project where I watched every film mentioned in the celluloid closet, the famous book about queer cinema. Mm-hmm. And literally, Heaven Help Us is only mentioned in the book because Kevin Dillon's character says the F word so yeah. sev- several times. Yeah. And yep. so I remember watching, I was like, that's that movie. I'll skip it. It's, um, you know, I'm not mad at it. It's uh, uh, teens being teens in the 70s, I yeah. guess. Um, but really, like, the big explosion comes in 1985. Um, and this is like the. The, the sound the fucking alarm, Huns, because uh, the Brat Pack is here. Uh, St. Elmo's Fire comes out. Um, I had never seen this movie before. Wow. And um, I I didn't know what I was I, I didn't know what I was coming into. I didn't I didn't know in my head. I was like, maybe it's about a fire department. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> um. Uh, it, it's a rough watch, is what I'll say. This is this is very. Uh... Very similar story to to Kate, except I grew up in a very small town in northern New York. But the latchkey kid watched whatever I want, didn't didn't have a lot of um, restrictions on it. And oftentimes, in fact, my parents would like tape things off TV and then just leave them for us to watch like this, like St. Elmo's Fire, and which are not super age appropriate. But I also had two older sisters and we're all three and a half years apart. So they were they were more mature. But so St. Elmo's Fire is formative for me. Like, it's a movie I've seen several times. I rewatched it for this. I agree. Politically, now I'm just like, oh, boy, there's a lot happening here. And I don't like a lot of it. Like, one of my friends told me that his sister felt 
so hard for Emilio Estevez's character. And I was like, that was he the worst? <laughs> like, that's a red flag. Yeah, yeah. He's a stalker in this movie. He's a stalker. He's a stalker, yeah. exactly. And like, and, and then even though he's a stalker, they give him like the moment of like, and then he kisses her and she's like, fuck, I guess I'm stuck with my boyfriend and I could yeah. have thy stalker. Poor Andy McDowell. <laughs> Um, St. Elmo's Fire is a movie about a group of friends who just recently graduated college and they're trying to find themselves in life. And the thing that brings them together is this bar. Is the bar called St. Elmo's? Is that the... I think I think the bar is called yeah. St. Elmo's Fire. Oh, St. Elmo's Fire. Okay. I think the bar is called that. I don't fucking know. But they also I, bring they up... They show the sign. <laughs> yeah, they show the sign. And then also at one moment he talked about like St. Elmo's Fire is like yeah. a myth or whatever. I was like, okay, great. Um, Andrew McCarthy specifically is a writer in, in the movie. He writes obits and he hates it because he wants to be a real writer and find the meaning of life. And I was like, oh, babe, if only that was what writing was about. You know, like, I'm so mad about my day job that's like paying for my bills. Um, it it, give, it does the little um, love actually, you know, uh, the rope-a-dope of like, is he gay? Oh my god, just tell me you're gay. But, but he's he's only, like, the, everybody assumes he's gay, except for the Anna Maria Horsford character, who just is piecing yeah. things together. Mm-hmm. But everybody else thinks he's gay because he's just pining after one friend specifically, which is yeah. Ali Sheedy, who's like an architect in a bad marriage with Judd Nelson, and he keeps cheating on her. They think he's pining after uh, Sheedy's boyfriend. Yes, Judd yeah. Nelson, yeah. Judd Nelson, yeah. And so they're like, you, you're, you're totally obsessed. That's why you don't like her. It is the Love Actually, like it. Yeah. And, and, oh yeah, yeah. And sorry, but, I, I haven't seen Love Actually in a very long time. So <laughs> I watched it all the time. Um, I know. No, but like, and then, and then, literally, she comes over and she's like, "What are all these fucking pictures of me doing in your apartment?" <laughs> and he's like, "I'm obsessed with you." Um, they have sex because you know whatever the the other relationship is falling apart. Um. And then he go he turns full. So- I was like, oh, he's the normal one, I guess. But then he's like, we're moving in together. Fuck that guy. I'm like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. You actually are also a fucking monster. Like, how are these people friends? It was so crazy. Watching that movie is crazy. If Lindsay would just marry me, marriage is gonna make you faithful. Yes. I'm sorry. The notion of two people spending their entire lives together was invented by people who were lucky to make it to 20 without being eaten by dinosaurs. Marriage is obsolete. Dinosaurs are obsolete. Marriage is still around. I did want to mention, uh, as I mentioned earlier, Anna Maria Horsford is in this movie. She plays a uh, sex worker who, like, always sees him on the street and is like, you never come on to me, so you must be gay. Uh, We've had them on the show before, but the very great podcast you might know her from interviewed her, and they asked about working on this movie, and she talked about how there's a scene where he hands her a bottle of wine that he's been drinking of and she wipes the top of it before sipping out of it. And Joel Schumacher, who directed this film, was like, why would she do that? She's a prostitute. And she, and Rhea Horsworth was like, you know, sex workers like to keep clean too. Yeah. And it blew his mind. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Joel Schumacher. Um, um, there's another great anecdote for the book about them on set because he was friends with Rob Lowe. Rob Lowe was like the only member of the Brat Pack that he was friends with mm-hmm. um and so he walks by roblo's uh, trailer and roblo is watching himself eat in front of the mirror <laughs> and so he just like shouts like admiring yourself bobby uh-huh. and joel schumacher who he did not know was behind him just goes wouldn't you oh <laughs> joel schumacher is such a horny man you know 
good for him. I, I, I'm not mad. Um, I am mad at this movie, um, but I am sure that it was very... For, I mean, it's like the classic uh, John Hughes thing, like taking young people seriously, diving into like their wants and needs. But like this movie is like every person has an issue and it is um, very paper thin. And it's like, you know, this girl doesn't like the way she looks. This girl, um, I don't know. Is... Demi Moore is bad with money. So she's yeah. going to kill herself by opening all the windows. Right. I was like, is this an emergency? I don't <laughs> She's going to die in there. I was like, okay. <laughs> Um, I thought it was, I, I thought it was interesting to Judd Nelson, uh, character, um, or role. Uh, he's like the college Democrats president and then, oh no, now he has to go work for a Republican. Ah! I was like, okay, cool. It's like Joel Schumacher, like straight people fan fiction. That's yes. the way we talk about it at home where it's like Joel Schumacher is like, how do all these straight people relate to each other? And it's like, <laughs> yeah, they just graduated from college. So they're all 22, but they're also like 45 years old. The yes. issues that they have are just, they're not the issues that I think 22 year olds have today or even 10, 15 years ago. And yeah, everyone right, has right. their own little boxed in issue and they've got to figure it out together. Well, it's like almost as if, you know, I think I think about a lot how John Hughes movies and like you know Samuel's Fire like they, I, I they... do want to say and not to cut you off but I do want to say like I I just to reiterate like this is the most John Hughes movie that he didn't have anything to do with at all right like right. he is not here but it right. it does feel like that it's these movies were writing like the script for like Americana you know like you know in the eighties it was like oh this is what life post-college is supposed to look like relationships and i think you know we'll see that going forward in, in pretty in pink like people were like oh this is what high school in prom and like relationships are supposed to look like uh and i think for a lot of you know elder millennials uh this, this were the blueprints and that's why i think for a lot of people who are queer black you know brown it's like what the wh where what is the blueprint we don't have anything you know right. th because these were so like, front and center um but pretty in pink we talked about earlier um was his first leading role uh it was his fourth movie he said it was his first time he's ever gone to a um a hollywood premiere about two-thirds of the way back in the packed theater i took a seat as near the aisle as i could get not long after the lights went down and the opening credits began, I mumbled apologies as I climbed over several sets of knees and darted up the aisle. A few stragglers were getting their free popcorn in the lobby as I pushed open the glass door and lunged out into the cool late January night. The red carpet, sight of such excitement just a short while earlier, was deserted. In my ill-fitting black blazer and skinny tie, I searched up and down Hollywood Boulevard, looking for a place to hide. Andrew, did you actually go to your high school prom? No. No? Why not? I couldn't get a date. Couldn't get a date. Later on. It's a sad tale that I'd really like to talk about. No, it just wasn't a big deal, I guess. He hated it. He got yeah. drunk instead. Uh, I think a big part of uh, uh, his Andrew's career would talk about is like him feeling like... Um, an imposter like he didn't belong um he c was kind of like this introverted shy guy um which you see a lot on screen um but he i watched the um jane Pauley sunday morning whatever cbs interview that he did and he's like talking about how he took a picture with like the paramount stars for like yes. his 75th birthday it's a pretty he was, famous picture 
And he's like, Tom Cruise is in the middle, wearing a red sweater, <laughs> looking so confident. And he was like, meanwhile, I'm in the corner, like, cowering. I was like, I would never be Tom Cruise. I was just never that guy. <laughs> and I was like, oh. And there's Tom Cruise in a bright red sweater, center third row, standing there like this in the photo. And I just go, wow. I just never was that guy. I could never in a million years been in that red sweater. Stand in the third row. I'm not that person. I don't, didn't ever want to be that person. You know, we keep talking about luck, and it is sort of that. Uh, you mentioned next thing he does Pretty in Pink, and he goes to audition for that. He doesn't think he did well. But he learns later that, as you mentioned before, too, that Molly Ringwald was it, it was like a, a reading with actual Molly Ringwald and, and John Hughes in the background. Once again, John Hughes did not direct Pretty in Pink, but he did write it and he produced it. And he had a big hand and everything. Apparently, he was often rewriting on the set. And but the, he he goes and leaves and Molly Ringwald's like, that's who I would fall in love with. They weren't interested in me auditioning for the part because it was written for a square jawed, you know, hulking quarterback stud dude and i read with molly and they won't okay thank you and when i walked out molly you know turned to john hughes and said that's the guy and john hughes is like that wimp and he's like no he's sensitive he's poetic that's the kind of guy i'd fall for that that changed my life molly changed my life lol <laughs> he, he wanted another jake ryan like he wanted another 16 candles that's sort of yeah. like really masculine looking and so he decides to take the chance. And it's funny because Andrew McCarthy, it, we talked a little bit in the John Hughes episode about how John Cryer felt really alienated on the set because he was gregarious and outgoing and Molly Ringwald and Andrew McCarthy weren't. Andrew McCarthy feels the same way, but from the opposite end, he's like, I didn't really talk to anybody on the set. I was mean to John Cryer because he was so outgoing. And he's like, we made up sense, but like I was a dick to him. He's like, John Hughes spoke to me twice. John Hughes gave me the script of Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and I told him it was great, and then he didn't talk to me. Cool. And, and then he called me after the, we made the movie and sent me the script of Some Kind of Wonderful, and I was like, no, we just made this movie, and yeah. then he never spoke to me again. Yeah. And so, Yikes. So for like as big of a career launch as it is, and it is a big career launch, Pretty in Pink, like... He like every every step that that could have like launched him into that Tom Cruise role. Like when he was just kind of like, no, turn yeah. and push, turn yeah. and push. What do you guys make of him being the like complicated rich guy? Because um, I think I think Molly Ringwald is really good in the movie. Yeah, um, Andrew is is fine. I think he's doing his Andrew thing. You know, um, sensitive guy. You know, I think, and I wanted to talk about this later hint hint um <laughs> i think it's very clearly trying to put him into a box that he like the jake ryan box very masculine yeah like would play football would be that kind of guy and that's not what molly wanted but you can see like that tension on screen in a way that i don't think works because the right. movie wants him to be one kind of guy and he's so not that guy yeah and yeah you see the moments where like, oh, okay. Yeah, but it still doesn't work. And it is funny that then he like, you know, John Hughes was like, oh, read some kind of wonderful, which corrects a lot of the mistakes that yeah. Pink, Pink makes. Um, so yeah, it is sort of the same film, but it corrects a lot of mistakes that Pretty in Pink made. <laughs> and that I think, you know, as I said, I obviously I grew up and I had a huge crush on Andrew McCarthy and especially in Pretty in Pink, but revisiting it and thinking more about it 
um, the last couple of weeks leading up to this, I'm just like, it doesn't work. It really doesn't yeah. <laughs> work in so many different ways. And it doesn't work because I think he's still trying so hard to actually be himself. But right. the movie he's doesn't so want that of him. Right. He's so uncomfortable. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. He looks he looks insane in the reshot ending. When he, and well, there's two reasons he looks insane. But what, the first reason is because his eyes are wide the whole time when he's just like... We're gonna end up together, like ah, like <laughs> she, she should run. I I pitched in our John Hughes episode that the real ending of that movie is she should be like fuck you both, I'm mm-hmm. out of here and leave yes. herself and go party with Annie Potts. But uh, the other problem is is like obviously most people know this. The original ending of Pretty in Pink is she ends up with Ducky, and a lot of test audiences hated that. John Hughes was like they don't like it. She ends up with Blaine. And so they have to reshoot this ending. They had to pull him from a Broadway show he was doing at the time, which was a a Vietnam War drama called The Boys of Winter, which he said was also being rewritten daily. So he didn't mind the break from that. And they flew him back to L.A., but he had shaved his head. So they slap a wig on him. And let me tell you. In the Blu-ray of this, you can <laughs> see the lace. You can. Oh, it God. is not great. That ending doesn't work. It it truly doesn't. And I get why John Hughes, being the kind of people pleaser that he was, uh, would want to redo that so the ending worked for a teenage audience. But it just it yeah it doesn't. You told me you couldn't believe in somebody who didn't believe in you. I believed in you. Always believed in you. Just didn't believe in me. it's like around this time you know uh the brat pack like new york magazine is what labels the group as the brat pack um famously he was airbrushed off of the of a photo that he was it's a picture i believe from saint Elmo's fire yes uh and it's roblo amelia estevez um Judd Nelson. Judd Nelson. And like there's a gaping hole where Andrew McCarthy like is that they just airbrushed out. Um, And he says, at first I was really mad that I was like, oh, why did they airbrush me? And then like when you read the story, he's like, thank God they airbrushed me because (laughs) the story is, you know, not complimentary. Um, It was very much like these fucking punk kids who think they're running Hollywood. But he was still he was still Brat Pack by proxy. And he does bring up a really interesting point is. There were many projects that they probably could have done together that would have been interesting that all of them sort of instantly became toxic. Yeah. And so they like they never would have like there was a movie that he was going to be in with Emilio Estevez. Emilio Estevez asked for him to be recast. He said he's literally never spoken to Emilio Estevez or Judd Nelson since the ending of the shooting of St. Almost Fire. And wow. so th- this Brat Pack myth, this idea that it was like all these Hollywood teens that were hanging out together, the Demi Moores, the Molly Ringwald, the, that it, it just wasn't reality. And yeah. but it was the perceived reality due to this very famous article. If you were a New York actor, you were a New York actor. But the second the Brat Pack happened, that went out the window and I was Brad Packer. <laughs> we, we received it, or I did anyway, it's this sort of boxing in kind of negative thing. And to realize how over the years and decades <laughs> that it's gone on, that it is looked at with such a, as an iconically affectionate term now, you know, those movies represent, and it's not even the movies so much or me so much, it's the movies represent 
people who watch them, their youth, you know, and they look back upon their own youth, right. such glassy-eyed, watery-eyed affection, you know, it's that moment when you're 20 years old and the world is cusping and you are just out there for the first time and it's lemmy at it, you know, and I'm like an avatar for people of their youth. 87, we got Mannequin, uh, which is a full fever dream. Um, he, I, said, he says in his book he doesn't believe Mannequin would be made today. Has he seen the movies we make today? <laughs> this, this has Netflix written all over it, babe. 100%. Like, I, that's what I was like. I'm shocked Netflix hasn't remade this movie. Where's the Addison Ray starring Mannequin where she is? Or maybe it's a boy Mannequin this time, you know? Uh, man. man Kim. <laughs> yeah. I forgot that this movie starts with her as an egyptian princess or whatever and Kim like Cattrall, that's, yeah, very, yeah very famously egyptian really but I, I was like oh they're doing bits because they're fully giving the full fat valley girl aesthetic and vibe but they're like but egypt and i was like that's how because as i started the movie i was like i forgot why the mannequin is magic and i was like oh the mannequin isn't magic it's actually an egyptian princess or whatever and the gods have given her time travel skills to find a husband or something um <laughs> you cooking. know it, it, that makes it sound like you didn't watch hard enough but that's literally the looseness of the film because i rewatched <laughs> it last night i made dan sit through it because i was like you know what mannequin was a great movie when i was a kid yes. it is not, <laughs> it's it's, not a- <laughs> as a youth it's fun it's yeah. uh it's i i love the idea that like um, the gay friend who is played Hollywood? by Hollywood and Montrose. Ho- yes. <laughs> um, he's like, I'm gay. So I don't care that you're fucking a doll. <laughs> like <laughs> that's the whole vibe. It's very much like, Oh, sweetie, I don't want to get into what you're doing. At least you're finding love. Like it's very much like this. Is- he understands because he's queer. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> I-, I will, I will give them this. It is funny that they allow, Andrew McCarthy to be like because he's the good guy he's not judgmental about it because yes. when when the security guard at this uh, mannequin as Louis said is about literally about Kim Cattrall coming to life as a mannequin and work it's at this um, department store department store and, a wonderful uh, looking department store I'll say oh my that. god Maybe it's massive it's a, it's a real it's fil- in Philadelphia they still have it they still have that organ it's the largest organ in the United States of America what yeah it's now a Macy's um and they huh? shot the evil apartment department store at the Boscovs. <laughs> and Dan was like, do you think they told the Boscovs people that they were the evil department store? Yeah, bad. <laughs> they um, were just like the hip department store. That was like yes, the one the teens true. went to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were the like, young we got one. neon signs. Mm-hmm. Um, and hot people working here. Um, but the when he's confronted with the security guard, because he works overnights because he's a stock boy. When he's confronted by the security guard, the security guard instantly goes homophobic. And yeah, he's just yeah. like, well, you're a bigot. Bye. Yeah, yeah, and so I yeah. do appreciate that. But then literally, like, 30 minutes later, they just have an innocuous side character call Hollywood a fairy with no repercussions. And I was just <laughs> like, did she just say fairy? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it, like... I will say there's a lot of movies where, maybe not a lot, but, like, just because I was watching them so quickly. But, like, where he's the, the, the one who stands up to the homophobia. He is the one who says... Those are my gay friends, okay? Leave them alone. We're weird. Ow! Well, roll over Bill Shakespeare. That is the sweetest sentiment these years have ever heard. Uh, no, no, no. I was rehearsing a play. I always find it best not to explain. It adds a certain mystique to one's reputation. 
<laughs> no, no, no. I'm, I'm a regular kind of guy, okay? Don't disappoint me. When you're finished with your conversation, please bring her to window number three. Sure, you got it. He does talk about that in his book it, back when he was in at NYU before he was ever so uh, unceremoniously kicked out. And by the way, we should mention NYU did offer to reinstate him after mm. he made class. And, oh. and they well. were like, we'll just call that like a summer program. And he was, but you still have to pay your tuition. Fuck off. Yep. <laughs> that Fuck was the off. Um, but, uh, he mentions back when he was in NYU, he had his first exposure to a, a gay student, and he was a, a student that would go out and party all the time, and he invited him to a Broadway show, and he didn't. He was, like, too dumb to realize it was a date, so at the end of the night, the his the other guy, like, was like, well, can't blame me for trying, you know, so, sort of. <laughs> Love um, that. But then, like, he said he disappeared that summer, and then he found out he had to go home because he was sick, and then he died, oh. and they didn't have the the word for it back then, which was AIDS. And so I like that he had those experiences because I think they informed who Andrew McCarthy is. So, I mean, I I know he doesn't have much hand in the scripting of these movies and we are still talking about a very silly movie like Mannequin, but I would like to imagine he was like, no, I'm going to be the guy that's like, there's nothing wrong with this. Yeah. Also, I mean, like Mannequin is just silly fun. Like, you know, it's kooky. It's very harmless, inoffensive. Um, And, you know, like, iconically you know when she's like about to be shredded in like the mulch machine like it's fun like it's for a it's a perfect teen movie 1987 was a kind of a busy year for him uh the the next movie we should really talk about though is less than zero yes um which is the brett easton ellis uh book uh you know that was made um which is most famous probably for a robert downey jr who is incredible in it um i had never seen it um but watched it and was just like, oh my God, like this is an aggressive movie. Apparently, you know, like the, the book is a lot darker. They had to change a lot. Um, the, the studio really wanted to sanitize it for a broad, broader audience. Um, so it kind of takes the teeth out of it. But like Robert Downey Jr. is so good in it that it you still get like the real pain of a, a, a addiction. Um, I, I don't know if I could say a lot for Andrew's performance to this. You know, I yeah. think he... I- I feel bad like he both him and like and I really like Jamie Gertz. I like Jamie Gertz a lot. I think they're both pretty bad in this movie. They're I think, just totally overshadowed by yeah. by RDJ who's like yeah. just explosive. Yeah, yeah. I think specifically her, she to me was I was like what are some choices you're making here, babe? <laughs> like the, just like acting wise um but if, if you don't know Lesson Zero is about uh again three friends who um have just graduated from college or from high school, um, one of, they all kind of go their separate ways. Uh, RDJ wants to be like a music producer, ends up becoming an addict. Um, the, the, their girlfriend, um, calls Andrew McCarthy back because they need help, you know? And, and I will say that like, I was, I felt connected to this and I've gotten that call before, you know? And it's, and it felt like, well, what the fuck am I supposed to do? You know, like I, how much responsibility does someone have to, you know, helping someone who doesn't know that they want, need help or doesn't want help? Um, yeah, it's a very uh, intense movie. And I think also like this, now we're getting to the late 80s. I think this was kind of Hollywood looking back and being like, it's been pretty fucking rough. You know, people yeah. are just like <laughs> doing coke all the fucking time. And like, it, it, you know, um, 
And and I was I was waiting for the gay shit. I knew it was coming. I was like, I in my heart, I was like, there is going to be a scene where he is, you know, having sex for drugs with a man. And I was like, it's getting pretty late. And boop, right on time. <laughs> right on time. I was like, and there's Robert Downey Jr. in front of a man with his pants off. Um but yeah, which I is funny I, because once again, this is the tame version. This is of, the tame of, version. Yeah, the, yes. the book is much more explicit. Um, I I was looking up like how it was received. It was received pretty negatively, but I yeah. thought it was actually pretty effective. Um, I'm not mad at it. I don't think it's like a excellent movie, but like on the on the back of Robert Downey Jr. alone, it's kind of incredible. You want to talk about it? No. You want to fight? Nope. Congratulations. I mean, this is the way it's supposed to be. Turnabout is fair play. Blair was good to me. You know, I was lonely and I needed somebody. You know, she was there. It was nice. It wasn't exactly the World Series of Love, though. Oh, this is my club. Check me out. I'm going to make a serious comeback. Great. Yeah. And I'll sneak in your back door and take Blair away when you least expect it. This will just go on for years. What? I also do want to say that this is the third and final film he'll do with James Spader. Yes. James Spader plays his like kind of begrudging ally in Pretty in Pink. Like James Spader's the real asshole in Pretty in Pink. Yeah. Yeah. But but Blaine's like friends with him. Um and then he's the enemy in Mannequin. He he's like the like the the plant inside the store who actually works for the rival store. And then in this, he's the the drug dealer who starts selling yeah. Robert Downey Jr. for sex. Right. And I I think James Spader's really excellent in all three of these movies. He's good. And, and I will say, like watching these movies, I was like, "Huh, we need to we need to do a James Spader episode at some point." Yeah, I was gonna say, like, you guys should do that because that's another fascinating career. Yeah, yeah. very I much mean, so. I was like, James Spader had evil eighties down. Okay, <laughs> like he he knew every everything to do. Um, okay, uh, so you know, as the late eighties. Uh, you know, kind of comes to an end. Um, he does Kansas, Fresh Horses, a reteaming with Molly Ringwald, which, oh boy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I was like, why are these horses fresh? What is <laughs> a lot of accent work. A oh. lot of accents going on in that. Oh, thing. yeah. Oh, yeah. I felt so bad because that movie felt to me like a like a passion project gone wrong because it was directed by the guy who wrote the play and i think it never really gets out of that mode about play mode and also i do think and once again this is not me trying to shit on actresses because i like molly ringwald and i think she's been good in many things not good she's here. not good here no no and no, no. i actually didn't think mccarthy was that bad you know who the standout is though is ben stiller <laughs> Ben Stiller, a tiny young Ben Stiller. I also like who is the other woman in this that um she be, she has grown up to be um a famous actress, Molly Hagan. First of all, she's gorgeous um and just so effortless. I was like, ah, that was kind of the joy of watching these um movies from the eighties. I was like, we some of these actresses are actors who haven't like blown up, but like have yeah. been steadily working. I'm like, oh, it's so cool to like see where they started. Um, you know, his, his, his next like big thing, like of, of note would have to be Weekend at Bernie's yeah. at, in 89. Um, what a, what a goofball ride of a movie. Just <laughs> silly Billy. I don't know where this weekend is, but I was like, is this straight fire Island? It's, where, where? it's, it's like fake Hampton. Yeah. I was going to say it's yeah. supposed to be the Hamptons, but like, okay. yeah. I, I, I fully was like, oh, this is fire Island, but straights. <laughs> Parties every day, people coming and going, just like drugs, sex, whatever. Yeah, a lot of drugs. Yeah. 
uh, uh, weekend, weekend at Bernie's is is him and uh, Jonathan Silverman, and they're two guys that work for a company. And Jonathan Silverman's the straight laced guy who can't get the girl, and Andrew McCarthy's the wild guy who hates his job. And yeah, they yeah. they uncover some accounting fraud, and their boss Bernie decides to have them killed. Uh huh. <laughs> but but it like, happened. It's like, fire them? No, murder. Murder. <laughs> and so he invites them over to his house. They have dinner for the weekend. But unfortunately, his mob connection sees that he's been fucking his girlfriend and decides to murder him instead. And chaos ensues from there. They have to pretend Bernie is alive for the next less than 24 hours. In my brain, in my like childhood brain, having seen, I saw this movie at the drive-in when I was a kid. Uh, <laughs> in my childhood brain, I was like, wow, they keep him alive for like a month. <laughs> like, but no, it's literally like Friday it's night. It's a to, weekend. It's a weekend. Yeah. It's not even a full That's weekend. It. <laughs> it's like... What's wild is that in my head, again, like Mannequin, I remember watching this movie as a kid, but like Mannequin, I was like, why is he dead? I don't know why he's dead. I, in my head, I was like, this is just a movie where they have to like puppet the guy around. And I, in my head, I was like, there's no reason for it. It's just a funny bit. Um, I will say the guy who plays Bernie is very good at being a puppet. Yes. <laughs> Oscar. Should have gotten nominated for an Oscar. Yes. The things that he does with his body are just incredible. That's, the, like, that's, that's comedy, babe. The like weird half smile he maintains throughout most of the movie <laughs> I was like, Terry Kaiser is the one that plays it. I was just like, how? How is he not breaking character? Uh, But yeah, this was a lot of... Andrew McCarthy notes this as also being the thing that sort of introduces him to... Uh, he's always been curious about behind the scenes and he's always asked like cinematographers about the camera and lenses and everything. But this was where he got to really play that. And even so much so that uh, Ted Kocheff, who apparently was kind of an asshole like would yell at extras over his megaphone and everything let him direct a scene and so there's a scene in the movie where jonathan silverman brings a woman back to his apartment and it's secretly his parents apartment and his dad walks in in his underwear that's the director and so the director was like i don't want to direct myself so andrew mccarthy directed that entire scene that's incredible yeah love that Mm tidbit it's a funny scene too it's a funny scene it's a very funny scene it's a very funny and actually hats off to ted kochev obviously don't fucking yell at your employees but uh (laughs) he's very funny in that scene for not being an actor yeah um i would say after weekend at bernie's it gets weird it gets weird it's hard this is the first actor we've ever done who i think like was very hot for a brief amount of time. And then sort like, basically like he still works, mm-hmm. but like as the nineties goes on, it gets more and more like direct to video HBO original yeah. movie. Like, right. And I think also TV movies. Yeah. And, and Kate and Gavin, you probably might know more than me. Like, culturally as far as movies went like in the 90s was when like indies were really blowing up you know and i feel like you know because he talks about how he was such a new york actor he was east coast and how uncomfortable the west coast was but because he got sucked into the brat pack of it all like he it took him a, like there are a couple of things here and there i'm like oh this is like an indie 90s new york film but like it anyone who was casting him was like you can't be this guy you right. are Hollywood guy you are you know LA uh and so he has a very kind of kooky run especially also he's growing up now he can no longer play like the right. young um 
freshly like how many times was it i just got out of college i just got out of high school um those days are kind of coming to an end uh so i i do think i do think you have a solid point there too about the idea of i hadn't thought about that like yeah he is he very much represents like a hollywood ideal as much as he when you go back to pretty in pink didn't think that he fit that ideal like he was like a hollywood leading man and so it was not like please come star in our indie film yeah. Because oh, that's so interesting. I, I read that entire book and didn't even put that together. Because the next <laughs> thing the next thing he did, like 1990s, he goes to Europe to work with Claude Chabral on Quiet Days of Clicky. And it, like his agent was like, don't do this. Careers, like people end their careers in Europe. They don't start their careers in Europe. And honestly, his agent was right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't watch Quiet Days and Clicky. Um the next thing I saw was Year of the Gun. Yeah. Which to me feels like probably his agent being like, you're yeah. a man of a certain age now and you need to be an action thriller guy now. Right. Like that's the next step if you're going to do the Tom Cruise lane. Um, unfortunately, Year of the Gun is so bad. <laughs> he, he's well, so- just like so many of those movies in this time period, it feels like, yes, he's trying that. Like, okay, well, maybe I'm going to be the action guy. Or like, no, I'm going to do like sort of a kind of an erotic thriller. Yes. Just like, trying and it not working the amount i guess yeah the amount of movies where women are just thrown around half naked fully naked and he's just there like pawing at them and i was like my god like they they all started to run together honestly um i told gavin this earlier i i watched escape plan and then two days later i clicked on it to watch i was like oh what's this movie and i was like wait i, I saw this movie already yeah, what the escape, escape claws that's oh, the escape claws yeah, yeah. escape plan different <laughs> sylvester stallone um the i i will say um i i can't remember if he mentions this briefly in the book year of the gun that john frankenheimer like was yelling at him about like not having the right chemistry with sharon stone but i know that he mentions it in saint elmo's fire uh with uh with joel schumacher that like joel schumacher was like make these sex scenes hotter with ali sheedy and and like he snapped at one point like what would you know about having sex with a woman and joel schumacher was like nope (laughs) like how dare you dang but like i think that also adds to it is there is you know, you watch Year of the Gun and he does have these scenes with Sharon Stone. You watch Escape Clause and he has, there's all these sex scenes. It's awkward. It's not, it's awkward. And, and he is a really great looking guy. He's hot, but like, it's not, it's, it's not a sexual chemistry thing. I think he actually has a lot of sexual, just like charisma. And I think, you know, I, it's not that it's unbelievable. It's just like the way these movies are shot. And it feels so exploitative to the women. Like, the male gaze is just, like, so aggressive. Um, I, I think the hottest scenes in Year of the Gun, which is not a hot movie, are literally just him and Sharon Stone kind of, like, bantering back and forth. Sharon yeah. Stone, who's incredible, has just so much magnetic energy. But Year of the Gun is just, like, again, one of those movies that's, like, journalism is crazy. And she's, like... <laughs> fucking like there's people literally shooting guns at her and she's like click 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 click. i'm like ma'am that's a film camera you do not have ten thousand. like (laughs) what are you talking about um this is a movie that really wants to say something about war and the media yeah but like it it it, it's all wrong it's just so so wrong you were never indicted in the bombing in new york why not because i wasn't guilty sure look I had known somebody who was involved, Peter Weiss. 
He was in two of my classes. We were friends. He lived in an apartment with six other people, so sometimes he'd come over to my place and crash. The FBI got pictures of us together, Peter going in and out of the apartment. What happened to Peter? Who he was? Look, Allison, I am not and never have been a revolutionary. Yeah. Well, the book you're writing is not and never will be about spaghetti. We get a weekend at Bernie's too. To um, which he says in his book, the less said about that, the better. And I mm-hmm, agree. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's in the Joy Luck Club. I think 1994, um, specifically Dead Funny, is a bright spot that I would like to mention just because I saw this poster and I thought, oh, God. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> God. Um, and then come to find that it's actually, you know, an indie little New York movie Starring Elizabeth Pena, who is so good. She's talk very about, good. Talk about hot. Them two, just like, I was just imagining, like, he's, you know, been in the biz. Um, he's out of, you know, the brat pack of it all. He's making this movie that, like, literally only came out on VHS. It's never been released on DVD. You can find it online, but it literally is a bootleg of a VHS. Yeah. Um, and uh, um, if he feels so comfortable, if he feels like he can finally like let his hair down and just like not worry about being a star, he's just being a fucking weirdo. This movie is weird um, and funny. Allison Janney's in this. Like, yeah, it's a lot and- of Broadway New York theater gals. Just to give like a quick, essentially, Elizabeth Pena comes home. And finds her boyfriend dead, played by Andrew McCarthy, dead on the kitchen table with a katana sword through him. Mm-hmm. And she's trying to piece together what happened. And you find out that they had this really volatile relationship because he kind of kept secrets from her. But he was also constantly pranking her. And he had this very dark sense of humor. So all of her friends, whenever she's like, he's dead, are like, oh, oh, oh he's such a kidder. And I yeah. think the real lesson of this movie is practical jokes suck. Don't do it. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> But but he appears mostly in in flashbacks, and he's very good. He's he's very funny, good. and yeah, it's I I liked for the most part. I when I when I got to the end, I was like, oh well, this is the end I thought we would get to, and I don't I don't want to spoil it, but I but for me, that's what turned me against a little bit. But Elizabeth Pena is very good, and also you mentioned Allison Janney in a small role, and also Bai Ling in a really small role. It's it's a it's a little bit of a cruel uh, movie, but I yeah. think that was like. New York theater because it's yes. based on a play. Um, uh, I also watched Night of the Running Man, which was a direct-to-video release. You know, running around, guns shooting, girlies for no reason, fucking. <laughs> but between between the two direct-to-video releases of that year, um, I watched Dream Man. Instead oh, I saw of Night Dream of... Man. I saw yeah. Dream Man. Yeah, and Dream Man feels like a pilot for a TV show about a psychic cop. Mm-hmm. But uh, but I will give this this and th- because this is a movie most of our audience is probably never going to watch. Uh, he's the villain in the movie. Yeah. And he's very good at it. Yeah. And, and I do wish he got the chance to play more villains in, in his time. I, I don't want to disparage the leading actress, but it feels for so much of it. Disparage. She's she I, I'm like, oh, she's trying very hard to be Pamela Anderson. Like yeah. she's just Pamela Anderson in light. Um, and it's this and her like visions and psychic powers yeah. while she's a cop. It's it, it is a I'm like, okay, the CW will order 12 episodes. Let's yeah, go. exactly. You're at least getting a season. Uh-huh. <laughs> what do you do? I'm a, I'm a cop. Were you and your wife together last night? 
I did not kill my wife. Not a great movie. I forgot to mention, I did watch Only You um, in 1992 uh, with him and Helen Hunt. Um, I yes, think they're so oh, fun together. That was, it's cute. That was the first movie I watched and I forgot about it. <laughs> um, I, I was like, when I was watching this, I was like, he's had so many leading ladies, you know, like all the girlies of the 80s and 90s. Um, I think him and Helen Hunt together felt like the most like adult and like, you know, yeah. real. Um, I think that's just like a, because she's so good, you know, also. Um, I'll, I'll also give props to, and I, I feel like I maybe haven't seen her in enough movies, but I specifically have seen her in a lot of movies from this era, Kelly Preston. And I really thought she was actually very good at basically playing live action Betty Boop. Yeah. She's, yeah. she's, she's like, oh, take me somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, Baby, I don't have any clothes. Yeah. <laughs> Can I be honest with you? Please do. You have hair. Yeah. And incredibly sexy eyes. Yeah, two of them. I feel... What? What do you feel? Very attracted to you. Really? Yeah, I feel an incredible amount of electricity between us. Um, I think that's just the alcohol talking. Oh, I promise you, I am not the least bit drunk. Okay. You know, you're in you're in no position at this point to be attracted to another man. You just it's too soon. You're too fragile. I couldn't oh, do nothing. Don't you find me attractive? Oh god, I'm sure you get cat calls from priests. It's mm, just I... there's a flame burning inside me and I need your flesh to soothe the fever. Oh, I could do that. He kind of like is in this rom-com. It's either he's like doing rom-com stuff or like action erotic thriller stuff. Yeah. None of them are really landing. Nothing is really hitting as hard as, you know, the Brat Pack era stuff, um, which is a shame. Uh, you know, the, the the further and further away we get from <laughs> the late 80s, the more chaotic it gets. Uh, you know, he does a couple HBO movies. Uh, Stag, which I just want to mention because... It, Stag comes out in 1997. We did a Cameron Diaz episode where we talked about Very Bad Things. Very Bad Things is a movie that completely rips Stag off. And I will give Stag the one credit it deserves, which is it's a much better version of Very Bad Things. But no one remembers it because it was like an HBO movie. Um, but he's very good. At, he's also uh, quite villainous in the movie. And he wears like fake teeth. They're like really rotted because he's a drug dealer and he has like a ponytail. But he's like the real badass, like evil guy in that movie. And I was like, this is a mode I like you in. Everyone in this room will be accessory after the fact. All right, take eight as a minimum. Cut it in half with parole. Time off for good behavior. Still four years. Yeah, well, I don't have four years to get from my life. Neither did she. Four years. Could be a lot fucking worse. Especially if you're on parole. Oh my god, you're on parole? I sell drugs, Timon. Yeah, he's good at being bad. And I think it's because he looks... He's got such a baby face. Yeah. And so it's kind of like fun seeing him play... Um, opposite i'm like going through this list now being like did i watch any of these fucking movies i started watching a weird stretch weird i I started watching new waterford girl and i was like i can't do this i was like no 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 um i i wish i would have seen to be perfectly honest just because it sounds it sounds so fucking chaotic i i watched it it's terrible it's like it's like 
the wraparound story is Princess Bride. It's Andrew McCarthy telling his kid a story. And it turns out that story is like about embezzlement. Ooh. And it's like, it's like him and it's love embezzlement. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone knows that. And it's like him and a business partner and they have this idea and it's just all really bad. And there's like lots of like odd Wizard of Oz references in it and poor John Turturro who deserves better than this and Ada Turturro his cousin who deserves better than this and yeah it's I the less I could say about to be perfectly honest I I wish I could because it was it was so bad but yeah it's clear you know he is uh I don't think he likes acting anymore at this point I don't know that he's finding much joy um and I I I mean, I, I, I think, and he doesn't, like, his book very much ends in the 80s. And I think that's probably smart on his part, because if he really said what he wanted to say about his profession, he would probably, there's probably a great book to be written about the 90s, let's just say. But, like, really, he does move into directing and whatnot. I, I yep. did see a couple more, like, I've seen The Good Guy before. Yeah, um, same. A, a Lexa Bledel film that nobody has seen. And, um... I like I watched Camp Hell, which is this cheap horror movie he did, and I watched the Brooklyn Brothers beat the best, which I don't know. <laughs> um, but that was 2011. He does this movie in 2019. He sort of comes out of like acting film retirement. I could not find this film. It's called Finding Julia. It has an amazing reputation online. Have you seen this film, Kate? I have not. I am aware of its reputation online. Um, any you read a single sentence about it, and it's like. I don't understand yes. what this is. What? I, I would love to see it because I, I cannot picture the tone of right. this film. Um, it's, what it's is the reputation? That? The reputation is that it is so poorly made that the audio track is four frames off and that's <sighs> on the released version. Like I, you can look up people seeing it in New York City when it came out and being like, "What is this?" And uh, like, I, I don't know. It's it was a very cheap film. It was um supposed to be introducing a, um, uh, an Asian actress, uh, Julia, uh, no, I, no so, ha, ha Fuang. Yeah, Ha Fuang. It was supposed to be like her first big American film. Um, Andrew McCarthy was playing her father. Richard Chamberlain apparently is in it. Um, ancient Richard Chamberlain. And it's it's just supposed to be a, a pure disaster. I don't know what caused him to come out of sort of like semi-film acting retirement to do this movie. I I found very little information about the actual making of this film. If anybody can find this movie, please send it my way. I would love <laughs> nothing more than to watch it. Uh, but like, but literally, like, I think his first real directing gig is on Gossip Girl. Um, love that he's a new york girl through and through exactly Mm -hmm. um he does he does do a a short film uh that he both wrote and directed in 2004 called uh news for the church but like his first like big like not for him is gossip girl and from there he becomes a big tv director he does a lot of orange is the new black in fact he even mentions in his book that when his agent told him that netflix was going to drop the entire season the first season online all at once he was like that's stupid no one's ever gonna watch that (laughs) and so he's like well i was wrong about that um (laughs) he 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 does turn he does the blacklist with his friend james spader he's done 20 episodes of the blacklist so like clearly that's worked out for him um he, he you know he did uh good girls both as a director and then as a reoccurring character and so i think he is finding a lot more 
comfort and a lot more interest in being behind the scenes. As you guys mentioned up top too, he's also become a travel writer. He decided that travel was what really saved him because he was having a huge alcohol problem during the late half of his 80s career and in the early 90s he went to rehab and didn't he said he he went to detox and then went into rehab but had forgot to mention that he was also addicted to pills so he had a seizure the second day there and had to go back to detox uh and then you know he came out of it but then he realized like i have this love of travel he starts writing travel guides he starts working for travel magazines and people are like that's this andrew mccarthy um (laughs) But he he writes a book about that. He gets back into the business through directing. So it's not like he has this traumatic career, but it's just like we watch somebody's star fade so fast. And it's yeah. such an interesting, weird thing, especially for the, the conceit of this show. I stumbled into that travel. Traveling changed my life. And so I started writing about it and it sort of took on a life of its own and became this uh, second career and it has been an amazing uh, journey for that. And I, I I love though that like, you know, it's not like he was like, oh, I'm just going to start chat. Like he was writing for National Geographic, a far magazine. Like he's writing books about specific like places in Ireland. Like it's, you can, it, when you find stuff like that, it's like, oh, this is someone who's passionate about this. Um, and uh, yeah, so he, he's been sober since 1992. Um, he talks about his book uh, about his, um, relationship to carol schneider who was his like college sweetheart they like got married 20 years after they had met um they had a child but then they got divorced um and now he's um he is married to an irish writer director um and they so he has three kids two from um the second marriage and one for the first um so that's his kind of personal life um he he definitely you know he talked in interviews about how he understands when people when actors um are anxious or, or, you know, cause he's like, I have all anxious um, tendencies as an actor. I know them all. And so when I see them on set, it's really easy for me to like disarm them. He's like, being a director is stressful, but I'd rather be stressed out than anxious. I have a good eye for the truth when I see it. You know what I mean? So that's what I have as a director is I can know, and I know how to talk to you quickly to get you sort of back on track. So I think I understand that and I know the need for that as an actor. Like when directors often go cut one more, First thing here as an actor is, oh, I failed. I always go, cut, good, let's go again. Go, oh, good, okay, I'm okay. You know, because instantly when you're an actor, you are in that vulnerable, open, childlike spot. And they say, cut, you close up quick. And if you hear the first thing you hear is negative, last thing you can be an actor is tense. So the thing you want to be, relaxation. Lawrence Olivia said the most important thing in acting is relaxation. So if I'm open and relaxed, so I go, cut, great, that's really nice. We're just going to go one more, keep rolling. Here we go, ready, and go. I'm still right in the mode as opposed to, cut, yeah, one more. Okay, obviously I didn't do it right. So he's so much more comfortable behind uh, the, the the camera, um, you know. And I don't, I don't know that he has any interest in acting anymore. You know, he wrote his book about yeah. the '80s because probably people kept fucking t- asking him about it. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, and Rob Lowe put out a book as, at the same time. So I don't know, whatever. Uh, I, 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 do, I, think- I do think I wonder if he's only interested in acting if his name will help whatever the project he believes mm, in. Right. And, and so that may be why it was less and less too in the two thousands, because he's probably does get offered a heck ton of these like direct to video stuff that he sort of did in the late nineties. And is kind of like, no, I'm not doing that anymore. Once again, no idea where the finding Julia stuff came from. <laughs> <laughs> His good friend, Hafwang. He's never been nominated for any major award, 
but Mannequin was nominated for Best Original Song for <laughs> at the Oscars. So, so there's Oscar that. Oscar nominee Mannequin. Oscar uh, nominee yeah. Mannequin. There you go. Incredible. All right. Let's get into our picks. Let's get the bad stuff out of the way first. And let's get into our one-star reviews. Kate, as our guest, you have the very prestigious chance to go first and tell us what was your one-star review? I mean, as I mentioned earlier, I do think it's Pretty in Pink, which I think <laughs> is an, an unexpected pick, but it mm-hmm. is somewhat something that I've thought about for many years, considering, you know, when I first saw the film and seeing it since and watching it, you know, sort of midway through lockdown and showing it to one of our friends. It's just like he, I think so much of his career you know, the early side, we're talking about the luck aspect, but it's him trying to figure out who he is and how to make that come out in his career choices. And it's just funny to watch Pretty in Pink and just be like, this movie doesn't want you to be who you are. And when you're a teenager and you watch it, you're like, oh, yes, of course, she's going to go for the, the dreamy rich boy. But it's like, it just, it, as Gavin said, it just doesn't work. Yep. And I think it would be a different film if there was like more of a Jake Ryan type in that role as Blaine. Blaine. Um, <laughs> That's not a name. But... That's a major appliance. <laughs> Blaine. And I, I mean, I think it's obviously it, it paved the way for his career for better or for worse. And I, you know, I, I would love to hear how he reflects on it now, but I think it just, it was a bad match, but good timing. Yeah. 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 Strangely. Yeah. So it was uh, right, right place, wrong time, wrong place, <laughs> I, right time, R- wrong, wrong place, place, right, right time, wrong place, right time. Yeah, correct. I, I agree with the idea that like I would read a full book about the making of like maybe yep. if him and Molly Ringwald co-wrote it and like alternated chapters, because I would love to hear what they thought about the making of. I, I once again stand firm in my belief that she should also not end up with Ducky, though, because I think he is literally yes. just as toxic yes. because he yes. spends most of the movie being like, oh, why won't you date me? We're friends, yeah. right? Let's kiss. Incel behavior. Yeah, incel very behavior. incel behavior. But you, <laughs> Big incel energy. But, yes. but you're 100% right. He is, he's miscast, and it's interesting that John Hughes's relationship with whatever you think of his relationship with Molly Ringwald, which like is both like a really close friendship, but awfully like weirdly parasitic because he like was kind of reliving his life through her. Uh, I think he bowed to her whim on that. And I think it was a bad move. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, like after our John Hughes episode, I was like false gods false gods um because you know i kate to what you're saying like a lot of those movies problems is because it's coming from the mind of this like fucking stuck in neutral yeah white straight guy who came from like the suburbs and who had like a vision of what american youth was supposed to be and it's like right and, God, for, dude. and for all of his talk of rebellion like also secret conservative which is yes! like really frustrating as well and that's the part that still gets me about like if you go back and listen to our john hughes episode there are some bombshells in there that i think most people don't realize about i know him. i was like i thought i was gonna go into the episode being like wow i love revisiting this place but i was like wow that was a fucking farce that i was fooled into believing was the truth if he was the, the guy that was like you know yeah i created this like world and you know he he just doesn't talk about it a lot. He did. He never was really like wanting to talk about like you know, 
the process or like, you know, all the things that he did because he did make a lot of these iconic movies. Like I, I still think, you know, like Ferris Bueller's Day Off and, you know, for better or worse, those movies are such cultural touchstones. But like, I mean, I literally, it was upsetting to me when we did the John Hughes episode to name Weird Science my one star review. Yes. But going back and watching Weird Science, I was like, oh no, like I yeah. like related to these people. And now I'm like, that. what, what was wrong with me? Yeah. And it, it's, even if he was, if he had ever just been like, like answer for your crimes, man. Like answer, like, yeah. I, like I don't need to fucking crucify John Hughes, but it's just like, hey, like you know, what was the thinking behind this? And like, yeah, this is fantasy. It's not real. Like if watching those movies, I think if you understand, like this is a fantasy, this is not reality. But when you're a kid and watching this, you think that's reality, and so yeah. like it's just if if. Uh, yeah whatever to, to, I, to bring it back i'm gonna to, step off my my soapbox now to bring it back to andrew mccarthy though i, I think I, I don't know if he would give it his his one star review for performance but i think that in a in a certain aspect he agrees with you kate i think he he like addresses it in the book as like i don't know why i was here and like i did it and it blew up and people were happy about it but like you know and then pulling him from this play that like he another thing that he thought he wanted to do because he's like I want to be on the stage and then was kind yeah. of a nightmare process where it's like him and Ving Rhames and Wesley Snipes getting new pages every day. He's just like Ugh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I I he got caught up in the John Hughes universe, you know. Are you late for something? Yeah, I am, as a matter of fact. But I mean, it's no big deal. Um, listen, do you want to you want to go out Friday? Yeah. Yeah? Sure. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> sure. Uh, 7 o'clock? Okay. Yeah, that's fine. Great. Great. Well, where do you live? I'll pick you up. Where do you live? Oh, I, I know. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going to be working on Friday, so you can just pick me up at the mall. Okay. Okay. Good pick, Kate. Uh, Gavin, how about you? So mine is actually the the film that I do think ended his career, which is 1990s Quiet Days of Clicky. Mm. Uh, I it is like a, a Claude Chabrol film, as I mentioned, Claude Chabrol, uh, French New Wave director, very frank about sex and very French. Um, and this is a film where it's based off the autobiographical novel by Henry Miller, and Andrew McCarthy plays Henry Miller, but also known as Joey in the film, and. It's him and his friend Carl and their, like, sexual adventures around France <laughs> during this, like, very free era. But, like, it's it's literally just, like, like w- having sex with woman, one woman, going to the next woman, and having sex, going to the next woman. It starts with this flashback where he's in heavy old age makeup, which is really terrible because <laughs> he also has that baby face. Mm-hmm. And so you never buy it because he's like, oh, back in my day, young woman. <laughs> And then all the women that they're, like, pairing him with are, like, clearly, you know, I mean, him and Carl have a double wedding with, like, a 16-year-old girl (gasps) at one point. Yeah. Cool. And so so most Mm. of them are presented as, like, underage or, like, underdeveloped. And it's hard to watch. And so I sat there through all 120 minutes of it. It's a full two hours going, like... I want to die. Yeah. <laughs> I would yeah. rather die than one. And so, like, yeah, it's just really bad. Like I said, it, it it's trying to be really deep and philosophical, but it doesn't 
doesn't treat women well and i i think my letterbox review was like we've let men write history for far too long <laughs> and, and that's what it feels like it's like yeah france was like a free place and it was full of sex and you could do whatever you wanted if you're a man yeah yeah fair you mustn't trust him first of all he's an american Brady from hollywood why hollywood because they make movies and secondly you mustn't trust him because he's a writer a storyteller all he wants to do is capture on paper anything that's alive have you been to hollywood yes i worked there what's all this about do you want to become an actress i want to be a ballerina my grandma promised she would help me why not i mean here we are three foreigners in paris let's make the most of it huh my pick i think has to be you know 91's year of the gun i think it's just kind of like him trying to shoehorn into uh, this action uh, Mission Impossible type situation that uh, clearly he was just not, you know, there's a scene where like he's getting the shit beat out of him. And I was like, this is so uncomfortable. Like, and I was like, clearly he's not like an athletic man. I was like, he can't fight back. There's, it's so unbelievable that like, he could be like an action star. Um, John Frankenheimer, who was known for the Manchurian candidate. I was like, this is what this movie is trying to be. It's like, it's Italy and it's fucking crazy, guys. There's like this group of people who are like the mafia and it's fucking crazy. And uh, I there's also a scene in this movie that was so deeply upsetting. He so he has like this lover and it's this like Italian woman. And uh, they, I, I will give it. I will give a shout out. That's uh, I I might be mispronouncing it, but Valeria Galino, who yes. I love and like, not great in this movie, but like seek out her other projects. She's very good. There's a scene where she is lipsticking her nipples um, and and then having like very... A common a- thing. Who hasn't? As right. we do. Yeah. Right. Who, who among us? <laughs> and then goes and has like very angry sex with like the villain of the movie. It's kind of like this little twist where, you know, oh no, his lover is actually bad or whatever. Um, but like angry, angry sex with her, just like brightly red nipples. And I was like... What is this? That's I was how like, you know she's evil, Louis. Those were her yeah. horns. Yeah, I was like subtle, subtle filmmaking, very, you know, important political discourse happening here. Um it, it it's it's just nothing about this movie for me works from like it, it's I was like, "Oh, if you're going to be fucking crazy with red nipple lipstick or whatever, like then be the kooky movie." But like it truly the ending is him sitting on a couch being like, "And so war is bad." And then Sharon Stone from, like, I don't know, wherever she is. She's in another war-torn place because... Yeah, she's war reporting and she's like, actually, war is more bad than you think, so how about that? <laughs> I was like, okay. Uh, it, it, it's... It, he. I, he's just so unbelievable. Like, you know, he doesn't get to use any of his charm. He's, like, again, a writer who's, like, wanting to write about the big, meaningful things in life. It's just, like everything i hated about saint almost fire but make it like action thriller now um so yeah the year of the gun is my one star review there's no such person as nella marucci i made him up well then he's the only one because everybody else is real it is a fucking novel it is the first draft of a fucking novel i'm gonna change all the names nobody's gonna be recognizable when i'm finished it's gonna be like day of the jackal general de gaulle mixed up with fictional ones i don't believe you it reads like a piece of hard journalism it is meant to Every piece of information in that manuscript has already been published somewhere else. What about the plot to kidnap Aldo Moro? 
But it's the goddamn plot of the novel. A novel that was written by a man who penetrated a terrorist cell. No one has ever penetrated a terrorist cell. I know one journalist who tried, and he got himself shot in the head and left to die in front of his wife. Now, maybe that is your idea of an acceptable risk, but it is not mine. Was there anything else? Like, are there other... There are obviously other misfires. Yeah, I was going to say that's a that's a wormhole. <laughs> There's a big big chunk of the career that is misfires. Yeah, yeah, it's misfire after misfire. Um, Night of the Running Man, Dream Man, um, or things that I did not like watching. <laughs> I, I do want to say out of the things I think people have seen, mm-hmm. I think maybe the the biggest is Less Than Zero, which once again, as as Louis said, it's not a terrible movie and you can when you're watching it you can tell where the story is and like where Mm -hmm. everywhere that they went wrong but he is not right for that role yeah i uh, I, the movie was so affecting to me though i was like do i need to read this fucking book like what the fuck Uh, i mean it's pretty still it's hard but then that's (laughs) the thing though but then i was like i don't know a lot about this guy but i was like he looks very white and problematic um that's correct i believe those are both (laughs) in his bio True, true. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, 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 I cannot stress. Like, I dove into this episode being like, "Oh my god, I'm finally gonna watch Saint Elmo's Fire." What are all the gals talking about? <laughs> and I was like, ah! <laughs> <sighs> "I cannot believe they made Emilio Estevez the stalker." I cannot believe Demi Moore is like, "I'm rich and want to kill myself because." I don't, I don't know. I don't know why. I, 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 all, all these white people problems that were just fucking ridiculous. Um, it is a, uh, it's almost like a, what's that thing? Like a, a warning sign. Like, don't, don't do this if you grow up. Like, children, don't. I, I will say, and I know they're going for like a, a variety in the friend group for St. Elmo's Fire, except for if you're, you know, not white. Yeah. But, the, but the, the, my favorite is Mayor Winningham, where I was just like, why does this woman hang out with these yes. people? <laughs> yes. She's she's like the soft-spoken nerdy gal. Yeah, I was like, like, she's got better things to do with her time. <laughs> she's trying to serve soup at the, you know, the fucking free soup kitchen. And, and, and has to deal with her fucking bratty friends. Well, I guess it's because she's the rich friend. That's the twist. Yeah. She, she's the money girlfriend. I felt so bad. They, they put her through all that shit with Rob Lowe. Rob Lowe, who is like awful in this movie like his yeah, character is wow. the worst i was like you smelly jazz man go <laughs> fucking yeah, a smelly jazz man who's like i'm gonna go back to university and like play football yes. with my fraternity brothers who don't even remember me because i'm too old i wasn't yes. here like sad sir. i was like what the? Fu-? i mean it's almost like this movie is just like growing up like anxiety colon growing up the movie you know like it's just <laughs> It fully feels like, you know, like, oh, I, uh, the, the false start of adulthood. Like, I get that. Like, and that's probably why a lot of people responded to it. Like, oh, yeah, there, there are issues or it's hard post-college. Like, who am I? What am I doing? Whatever. But my God, like, these people graduated and then all stayed around each other. I was like, that yeah. doesn't happen. Like, you know, go fucking live your life. Well, uh, one one good anecdote, by the way, that does come from this before we move into our five-star reviews is that the guy that the neighbor, Demi Moore's neighbor, that she tries to set Andrew McCarthy up with, the actual gay guy, uh, became <gasps> really good friends with Andrew McCarthy. And oh, they and they they've like g- We love him. Yeah. Love him. And yeah. they, they've gotten jobs together and everything. They're they're still friends to this day. So they like hang out and shit. Because he said he's not friends with many actors. He doesn't want to be. So like <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> I mean, after all the shit that he went through, you know, with his addiction, and then also like 
honestly, like, a lot of the Brat Pack was dealing with this shit. Like, you know, it was the fucking 80s. People were feeding them coke and, like, drugs. You know, Robert Downey Jr. famously, like, had a very similar meltdown that his character does. Demi Moore was in rehab before shooting this fucking movie. Yeah, like, like, supposedly Joe Schumacher brought her to the table read. And the first thing he said was, like, I just want to congratulate Demi Moore on completing rehab. And everybody clapped for her. And Andrew McCarthy was kind of like, I don't know what this means. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I'm not surprised about that. Um, Okay, let's get into our five-star reviews. Kate, what do you got? I think it is, without question, it is, for me, Weekend of Bernie's. I don't think that any other movie has so perfectly captured his charm, because I think if any other actor played this character, he would be like smarmy, but mm-hmm. you just, you love him. Mm-hmm. He's a lovable fuck up. You obviously don't want him to get murdered. He and Jonathan <laughs> Silverman are so funny together. They are so good. It's just like charming and effervescent. And yes, it is a very silly movie and they just really make it work. There's great physical comedy. They're they're just delightful together, which of course doesn't really explain Weekend of Bernie's 2. I guess you can only get that magic one. Um, there was a, I just... early 2000s, there was a script for Weekend at Bernie's 3 going around. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Maybe? Oh my god. What would he, he would just be a skeleton. <laughs> yeah. a skeleton. Stop motion skeleton Bernie. <laughs> I, I thought um mr silverman is so dreamy in this movie i oh, yeah. they're both super dreamy yeah in different ways i love the scene of them like on the rooftop you know with like the kiddie pool and they're like going over the reports the yeah yeah and it's like hot i was like i know that fucking summer day they are having so much fun i think this is like also he's a little bit removed from yeah. the brat pack of it all but he's still able to have fun which like they were not really letting him do in a lot of these movies after the brat pack um yeah i think that movie still funny ridiculous conceit but played off so well um the idea of like number one being uh not mega rich in new york and like somehow smeagling your way into like the elite world is something that most people who live in the city will like relate to and be like yeah oh fuck and then that's like having everything go awry is so fun um yeah and he's just charms the pants off of you so I I had a couple for as much as we've been sort of negative there were actually a couple that we didn't even talk about that I was thinking of but I think in the end I actually have to back Kate up on this. I think Weekend at Bernie's is my favorite performance of his and I kind of rewatched it. I was like, oh, I don't really need to rewatch this. I've seen it so many times as a kid. So I kind of rewatched it on a whim and I was like, you know what? Like there's stuff that doesn't work in this movie. There's stuff that doesn't hold up, but he's so good and he's very good at You know, I think the thing that you're sort of describing, Louis, too, about that freedom that he's given is he doesn't have to. He's like no longer the leading man. And I know this is still very early, like because it's 89, but he they allow the space for Jonathan Silverman to be the leading man. Mm hmm. And so he like kind he's of, the one who has a love interest. Right. right. Andrew, Andrew doesn't have a love interest. Yeah. He's like and, the goofy sidekick. Right. Exactly. And I think because of the lessons he picked up on this film from being able to direct his own scene to being able to improv the way he did. You know, he said that the house he was staying at was just filled with board games. So he brought that Monopoly to the set. And there's an entire scene that's based around him playing Monopoly with dead Bernie. Yeah. Yeah. So that's all him. He's allowed to play. His costumes were him. He based his costumes off of the outfits, his aptly mentioned teacher that he like subletted his house from. Because he was, like, hanging out with him, he was like, I want to dress like him. So he went to, yeah. like, Salvo's 
and and picked up these outfits and and in a way it's the same thing with mannequin but it was only the shoes and mannequin if you notice he's always wearing bowling shoes, bowling and, shoes. That, and that was the thing that and so like i think there's so much of andrew mccarthy just being goofy and allowed to play as himself and and really expand on this character that probably like was funny on the page but like not as funny the whole idea of of him having tying fishing wire to bernie's arm so he could lift the arm so bernie can wave that was him you know so so like i i think really that this is the movie that shows like he's he's kind of brilliant and he's able to like when he's able to turn that charm on it really works larry you want to come in here for a minute huh yeah look rich is instant okay that's fine good what look what i found in his pocket jesus I never knew he was into the drug scene. God, look how much is here. This is not recreational, Rich. This is a career. This man needs some help, you know that? If he's not careful, he's gonna wake up one morning dead. I watch 2020, I know the statistics. I read. (sighs) What? Larry Lomax is dead. He can't be. Why do these things always happen to me? Well, I guess I'm the only one that it's it's left to me to to leave the Bernie gang. Even though I I think Weekend at Bernie's is really excellent, I was just so gooped and gagged by 1994's Dead Funny. Um, I I think he, and I will say I think he's very good in those first three movies. Like I think Class, Benneker Gang, and Heaven Help Us. He is so natural, so good, so charming. I was I, shocked at how good he is at Benneker Gang. And I did not like that movie, but I was like, there's a part yes. where he has to pretend to be a grandpa, and it's the worst makeup I've ever seen in a movie. And he's literally just like, I'm an yeah. old man. And I was like, I'm not, sold. But whatever. he's not like pushing it. He's he's, right. he's not like, you know, he's not a showy actor. Um, and so he's so natural. And so... In the in the depths of the '90s, after you know the Brat Pack, to see Dead Funny, and I was like, "Oh, now this is a mature Andrew McCarthy, and he's found that like ease again." Um, I think that movie is so hot. I think him and Elizabeth Pena, like, there's a whole scene where she's just like pouring honey on him and like you know licking his chest and pouring all this food on him, and he's just like so sexy. Um, I also think he's very funny. There's a scene where he comes over and he's dressed up as like a hot dog salesman or something. And hot. <laughs> it, it, it is funny and it is hot at the same time because I think him and Elizabeth Pena have so much chemistry and it's just, I don't know. I'm a sucker for that genre of movie, which is basically like 90s movie made for $5 um, about New York City. Like it, it's just, it also reminded me, or it felt like his return to New York. It felt like, you know, with him, he literally was living in Greenwich, you know, loved the city, wanted to be a New York guy. And this movie kind of just lets him be that, um, but also has like, you know, this dark edge because he is, he does have secrets. He is not being like totally honest with her. Um, I think Elizabeth Pena is really good in the movie. There, there are no like flop <laughs> um, actors in the movie uh, the ending is cruel uh, but you know I I think uh, for me his act, his performance in this uh, movie just really showcases everything that I love about him um, 
So if you can find it, dead funny, definitely worth your watch. Don't you want to have a baby? Just eight. Well, I'm serious. Oh, no, I don't want to have a baby. I don't. All that crying and diapers and rushing to the hospital because it's all purple and it's swollen. You don't know what to do. And then before you know it, it's a teenager and you got PTA meetings and zits and drugs. And it amazes me anybody wants a baby. Where are you married? Lots of women have babies without being married. You wouldn't want my baby. It would never amount to anything. Hey, Reggie. What? Why are you so down on yourself? I'm not down on myself. I just don't want to be a daddy. It'll be the best thing that ever happened to you. Really? You are the best thing that ever happened. Is there anything else that you guys want to shout out that um, you recommend or liked? Uh, I have two, just and I will do them as quick as possible. Okay. Um, there's a film from 1996. It's a Spanish-American film, even though it's all in English. Uh, it's uh, by Isabel Cosette. I think I'm saying that right. She's a Spanish filmmaker. She's very prolific. This was her first film in English. It's called Things I Never Told You, and it's him and Lily Taylor. And it's very, Love. like, 90s indie. Like, there's a lot of, like... I'm saying really profound things, but they're so good together. They have so much chemistry and I loved watching them. And this movie is populated with great, just really great side characters. Leslie Mann's in it and in a very early role, Debbie Mazar, who wow. like casually reveals midway through the film that she used to be a man and a no deal is made of it. <laughs> and I'm just like, that's awesome. And also Seymour Cassell, who plays... Uh, Andrew McCarthy's father and it's I think it's deals a lot with like this we didn't even talk about the stuff with his father where his father was constantly asking him for money and, yeah. and so like that was their relationship and he eventually had to cut his father off this felt like that where like Seymour Cassell at one point asked Andrew McCarthy for a hug and Andrew McCarthy acts like it's the most foreign thing anybody has ever said to him it's it's great I would highly recommend it and Alexis Arquette is in it as well and she's really fantastic uh, but it is all on YouTube and I would oh. highly recommend watching it. And then the other one that I saw that I really liked is a movie. Nobody is going to watch, but if you do, uh, you'll get a lot out of it. It's called anything but love, which is mm. a film from 2002. It's like kind of a musical kind of not. He plays a piano player. Uh, there's this woman named Isabel Rose who uh, she wants to be a lounge singer. She falls in love with this piano teacher, but she's engaged to somebody else. It's a very conventional plot. Uh, I like the way it's shot a lot, though, and I really like their chemistry, but it is every piece of dialogue is 80 yard in the movie. And so the the performances don't Ooh. always match. And that's a really hard thing, I think, to to get into. But I, I really enjoyed this movie and I think it's really cute and sentimental and sweet. Well, I, I don't even know if the Cliff Mendelssohn thing is going to happen. It has nothing to do with work. You know that. What about Berlin? And... Uh... What an amazing opportunity to travel. I am in love with you. Elliot, we haven't even... I think Isabella Rose's character, Billy Golden, like, maybe would be too much for me in real life. <laughs> She's like a musical theater gal. And it's like, huh. But uh, Eartha mm. Kitt's in it as herself. and Incredible. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a lot of fun, and it looks like a 50s musical, even though it's set in contemporary, like, 2002. Uh, anything that you would recommend, Kate? 
no, I mean, I think it's just so funny to hear all these different picks because it's like, yeah, he's had this very strange career and there's was a, some bad patches, but there's some real gems in there that people really should try to like seek out. Yeah. And it's made me sort of wistful for, you know, maybe he should come back and act. I wouldn't but mind I don't it. Want to do it if he doesn't want to. Yeah. I want Andrew to be happy. Yeah, be happy, Andrew. Okay, before we get out of here, let's do our mixed reviews review. My uh, one star review was unfortunately for Pretty in Pink, the 1986 classic, <laughs> not so classic anymore. Yeah. And my five star review is for the bona fide comedic classic, still great to watch today, 1989's Weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> <laughs> Love the pick. My one star review was Quiet Days and Clicky from 1990. And my five star review was also 1989's Weekend at Bernie's. God, you guys are such little Bernie snobs over here. <laughs> um, my one-star review was a 1991's Year of the Gun, and my five-star review is 1994's Dead Funny. All right, let's get into that fast forward. Do we know if he's working on anything? I think. I mean, I think he, supposedly he has a movie that he is going to be in, but I mean, this is normally a section where we talk about sort of what we want for, you know, other than if we know anything that they have coming up. I think it's time for him to direct a feature film. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, he's written books. He even wrote, he did write a YA novel, by the way, Louis. Oh my God. Yeah. Which I was like, Louis should seek this out. I think it's time for him to get behind the camera and make a full movie, not a direct-to-video movie, not an HBO movie. Like we need to see it in theaters. I think he'd be really good at it. Yeah. It feels like the vibe he's going for is of um, why podcast brain? Why um, dazed and confused guy? Oh, link later. Link later. Yeah, it feels like that's the vibe he's going for. You know, it feels like he's most comfortable in these smaller movies. It feels like you know he directed so many fucking episodes of Orange Is the New Black. It feels like that's where he might thrive in. So I wonder, like, why there hasn't. Well, yeah, why he he hasn't like you know have a, had a passion project that he wanted to get off the ground. Um, he certainly knows enough people in the industry. I w- I, I list like half of his interview with um, Alec Baldwin on his a podcast, and they were just talking shop. Okay, it was very like and it was wild how they were both talking about how. Yeah, we've made some pretty shitty movies. You know how it goes. <laughs> um, and, and talking about being behind the camera and how TV, you know, is you know where where they both are kind of safe now. Um, but in my head, I'm like, oh, well, that certainly Andrew McCarthy then has enough connections to probably get something going. But um, yeah, I would I would love to see that happen. Yeah, I mean, he's clearly like, he's directed enough TV that he, he knows how to direct. There's no question about that. I, I love the, you know, he directed an episode of uh, Nora is Aquafina from Queens. Yeah. So he, like, there is still this comedy in him. So it's like, yeah, maybe, maybe a more honest but still funny coming of age comedy could be an interesting way to marry all the different parts of his career that we like so much it's funny he uh he also mentioned that on in that alec baldwin interview alec baldwin essentially accused him of not wanting it enough Mm. and that's why things went south i don't think that's true i i think maybe he didn't want to be in the position that he was being pigeonholed into Mm-hmm. But I, I don't think that he doesn't want to be in this business. It's very clear to me that he wants something, you know, and maybe that's maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's, you know, what we can hope for is is something longer. I also do wonder, though, like he does have kids and I wonder if the idea of doing a, a movie like 
taking that much time to do a movie versus, you know, like showing up and doing like two weeks worth of shooting on a show. Right. I wonder if that's maybe what keeps him from doing it. But I don't know. I mean, I, I like him. I think that I think the thing we're all coming away from is like, he's great, but it, it just <laughs> it's it's just funny. Like he he is so good. But then like it, it was almost like, as if like, oh, he's successful. Hollywood is like, this guy's successful. But then they're like, but he's not a leading man. So what do we do? Yeah. You know, I was like, well, they're like, wait, he's not like buff or athletic. <laughs> he's just kind of like a charming everyman that can't sell you know our big budget things that we want to make so what do we do with this guy and he was just like i don't know <laughs> and and this like kind of <laughs> was kind of like floating through this career um it's funny in his book he talks so much about how this this thing the brat pack of it all kind of trapped him and, and defined him and um made him a superstar to a generation of people and kind of how like it was just inescapable, right? Like his entire career yeah. is that. But but he's like, but I'm an old man now. Like I'm I like that is so far behind me, and 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 it really has so little to do with what I am really passionate about now. Um, so yeah, I don't know that if we've ever had someone uh, on an episode about someone whose like career has like really taken a left turn, you know, somewhere yeah. else. Um, who was like truly like a, a megastar? Yeah. It, we, we've talked about people before who were like stars that wish they could be character actors. And mm-hmm. I don't think that's even him. I don't think he like, I mean, the, the times that he's delved into it, he's been good. Like I mentioned that, that movie stag where he like, you know, finally does like puts on the fake teeth and like, mm-hmm. but I, I just, I don't think that was where his passion was either. I don't think he's like, yeah, I want to, you know, it's yeah. the artful dodger of it all. Like he's like, yeah, I, I don't mind being a secondary lead, but like, I'm going to, you know, I'd rather be behind the scenes. I'm glad Kate, you picked uh, Andrew because I had a lot of blind spots uh, uh, from his career. Um, but also like there was, like you said, some gems that really like were so surprising to me because I probably, I was like, after watching like uh, Dream Man, I was like, oh, a lot of these movies look like they're going to be this. Um, and a lot of them were, but there are some that just, I mean, dead funny <laughs> this shocked yeah. the hell out of me um and it's just kind of like um a shame that there was never people never gave him a chance to do more things like that and and maybe he's just kind of over it and and, and fuck alec baldwin they don't want it enough fuck you dude like what, yeah. what does that even mean you don't want it enough i mean there's like, enough problems with alec baldwin anyways but i just think it, i think it's funny that that would be the the thing that he would be like oh you don't want it enough and it's like but yeah i think Andrew mccarthy's attitude and personality just doesn't is not the fucking Alec Baldwin of all. He's not a schmoozer. He's when he's saying he's like, I was on set. I wasn't really talking to these people. I, yeah. I was part of the Brat Pack because I was in the movie. I was not like really their friends. He was friends with Rob Lowe from a movie before the Brat Pack. You know, right. like it's uh, he really kind of like got sucked into this tornado uh, and then spit out, you know, and and he landed in Ireland where he married a lovely woman <laughs> and wrote a book about it. You know, so good for him. Good for Andrew McCarthy. I, I mean, I think that wraps it up perfectly and uh, only the best to him. And, and I do, I do once again, really hope that we maybe get a movie out of him or something. Yes, but he, he's still young. He's still young. Oh yeah. Very young. Uh, thank you so much, Kate. Thank you for bringing Andrew McCarthy to the table. Uh, we're gonna, I'm so happy. We're going to give you a moment now to plug anything that you want, anything your heart desires. Where can people find you online and where can they read your stuff? 
people can find me mostly on my Twitter account, which is uh, my name, but missing an E in the middle. So it looks like Caterbland. <laughs> Caterbland. Uh, yeah, I made the mistake 13 years ago when I signed up for Twitter. Ew. And I just <laughs> kind of rolled with it. Um, and then obviously you can read my stuff on IndieWire.com and you can read everything else from our wonderful film and TV teams. Excellent. We love that. Um, th- again, truly, thank you for coming on. We love having just like so thoughtful and fun. I'm so glad Gavin was like, Kate's like a real critic and I, I really trust her. And I love that you came <laughs> here and said, Weekend at Bernie's. Oscar. <laughs> I, I can only be me. Thank that's, that's God. Thank God. And we're here to talk to you about Oscar-nominated Mannequin, okay? <laughs> Get into it. But if you do want to find us online, you could always contact us on our Twitter at, at The Mixed Reviews. We're on Facebook. Just type in The Mixed Reviews. You can email us little love notes by writing to us at reviewsmixed at gmail.com. We're also on Instagram. Just type in the underscore mixed underscore reviews. And if you want to listen to our back catalog of episodes, just like you listen to this one, you can find us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, iHeart, Audible. And if you do listen to us on Apple Podcasts, please stop by, leave us a five-star rating and write a little review. It helps the algorithm, blah, blah, blah. I'm sure you're tired of hearing about the algorithm, but but it does help us out. And especially if you like even leave like a little thing that just says like meow or like, hey, or something. Not meow. Yeah, meow, you know. I'm sorry. I saw, I saw one of Kate's cats. I either saw Felix or Oscar earlier, and I was just yeah. like, oh, I'm, I want a cat. <laughs> Felix has been mostly around, and when I keep looking, it's because he's like in the kitchen. I'm like, are you seeing like a bug or something? No, he's but making no, I grilled cheese. Yeah, he's just being like a weirdo. But I love that Gavin cats is so weird. distracted by cats. It's so funny. <laughs> I'm like, I want one. Uh, but thank you so much for listening to us and coming back uh, every two weeks. We will be back in another two weeks with another subject about which we will have next reviews. Bye. Bye. Bye.